Hello, my name is Matt Deemer, and this is Cuyahoga Today, brought to you by the Cuyahoga County Democratic Party. If you could, do us a favor. If you're listening to this on Apple Podcasts, please click the five-star rating and leave us a nice comment. It helps people find this show and give them confidence when they click on it. If you're on any other app, like Spotify, there are also places where you can leave five-star ratings as well. If you have any questions or comments for me or the guests, you can reach out to mdiemer at kydem.com. That's mdemer at cuidem.com. Today on Cuyahoga Today, we talk to Judge Terry Jamison, who is the current sitting judge for Ohio's 10th District Court of Appeals and former candidate for Ohio's Supreme Court. Our conversation today, we talk about the overturning of affirmative action from the Supreme Court of the United States, the implications of said ruling, and the future downstream effects on university admissions. I hope you enjoy. I'm sitting with Judge Terry Jamison, who is currently one of the judges on the 10th District Court of Appeals and former candidate for Ohio Supreme Court. Welcome to the show, and it's great to see you again. It's very nice to see you again too, Matt. The reason that we're here today to talk, it's from SCOTUS cases, uh, rulings that we have to clarify. Um, we're going to get into that in a little bit. I, I should have called you before this uh, so we could have caught up, but we're here now. And please, could you do us a favor and introduce yourself to everybody? Okay. I am Judge Terry Jamison. I serve on the Ohio Court of Appeals for the 10th District, um, we, which is seated in Franklin County. I'm one of eight judges. Originally hailed from West Virginia, um, moved to Ohio in the mid-80s. I've been a professional for a number of years. I was a small business owner for 16 years prior to going to law school, finished law school and worked for a brief time for the Public Defender's Office and then owned and operated my own firm and was elected to the Domestic Relations and Juvenile Court in 2012. So I uh, was on that court for eight and a half years and I was elected to the 10th district in 2020. So I've been here two years now officially. Let's get straight into our topic today, affirmative action. I mean, before we even go any further, we needed to define affirmative action. Could you do that for us? Well, affirmative action um, was originated in the context of resources or employment. And it's a practice uh, or a policy of favoring individuals belonging to groups regarded as disadvantaged or subject to discrimination. Um, The affirmative action order was uh, given by President John F. Kennedy in 1961. By executive order, he established affirmative action and the term was first used in context of employment or applications for employment uh, for government. And after that, it started to, you said it was um, used for government employment and government entities. And then it, where the SCOTUS ruling was talking about affirmative action in schools. Do you know the transition from government entities to, say, schools or even the job market? It technically was uh, started just for... Um, governmental entities, but it started to bleed over into the private sector and into education because uh, it was determined um, that Brown versus Board of Education was issued in uh, 1954, I believe, 
and when you looked at the they had enough data to suggest that Brown versus Board of Education did not accomplish what it was meant to do. There was still a, a great gap um, in education for minorities uh, versus white. But when you really look at it, you will find that uh, the majority of black students were being educated in urban areas and the tax base, particularly in Ohio, is how education is funded. It's been held um, unconstitutional since 1992, but we still fund um, education based on your tax base. When you live in the urban areas and it's based on your taxes and your income is lower, your housing values, property values are is lower, there was less education. So there's um, an untold history of disparities in our education system, even though Brown versus Board is the law. And so then with this implementation and the bleed over into multiple sectors of affirmative action, what is the desired outcome for affirmative action? Affirmative action policies were to develop, were developed to address the long history of discrimination that minorities and women have faced um, historically. And it emerged because there were non-discrimination policies that were put in place, but it still appeared that um, when you looked at the numbers um, of minorities that were hired or given the opportunities to enter into education, we found statistically that the numbers were not bearing out for the number of people that were actually applying for jobs or applying for admission into higher education. So that debate over the non-discrimination policies that we had in place, they were not being affirmatively implemented. So when affirmative action um, was um, became an executive order, they also had to consider race, creed, color, or national origin. And if like qualifications, then they might give preference to the one uh, based on race or creed, and later it became based on sex um, as well because women were entering the workforce at a greater number and they were being discriminated against. So being a woman gave you an edge in that application as well. All right, I think we've set up the foundation uh, pretty well. Can we go into the SCOTUS ruling and the overturning of affirmative action within the education system? Well, what it said was that race would no longer be considered um, and the argument was an equal protection clause argument. The uh, 14th Amendment is our equal protection uh, clause. So the 14th Amendment says that when you are equally um, in the, or in the same uh, group, that you cannot make disparities within that group. So it's an equal protection or argument that all persons born and naturalized in the U.S. Um, would not have any law which abridges any privileges or immunities of those citizens, and you're not uh, you will not deprive any person uh, 
of life, liberty, property without due process of law. The argument in this case was that when you use race as a factor for admission, that you are depriving the other applicants of having an equal opportunity to get into the college. Affirmative action was never thought of as a permanent solution, correct? Or was it supposed to be the law of the land for forever? Well, I don't think that it was supposed to be forever, but what we found was when we look at the statistics that the numbers were not changing. So up until this point, um, we had no reason to change uh, affirmative action. Um, it gave the workers the rights to to form and join unions. It gave you the rights to, um, and unions, you know, go a lot by seniority. Um, so it, these equal protection arguments are behind the history of affirmative action because minorities were not being admitted to the schools at the same rate as uh, the majority population. Okay, so just to clarify, you're saying that it was too soon to make this ruling, that the things that this that well, affirmative action and the... An op- I can't give an actual opinion. I can only tell you what happened. Understood, uh, understood. Because once affirmative action uh, became the law, black enrollment increased at Harvard. Um, in as early as in 1969. So um, you began to see that African Americans were now being given the opportunities to be in Ivy League schools. And the scope and the meaning of affirmative action has changed because the scope is no longer just for government employment. It's for universities. It's for private employers. And so it begins to look at um, admissions into various programs, um, whether you get equal protection in communities. You know, uh, when you look at our history of the country as a whole, um, minorities were redlined out of property ownership in certain areas. Uh, Minorities were uh, discriminated against when it came to uh, admission into universities, discriminated against when it came to employment opportunities, whether that was to be hired or for advancement within the company. So when you look at it as a whole, um, we had the Me Too movement. You have all of the different movements that have had their their birth from affirmative action and equal protection to make sure that you are not excluded from that opportunity. So um, the majority was ready to throw out all of the programs, but the data is still significant to show that the enrollment for minorities and women is lower. Now, women are starting to make more strides, but there's a disparity even between black women and Caucasian women and and, uh, Latina women. So you have disparities even in there. We still have a disparity in uh, wages. 
um, it takes black women um, till April to earn the same um, percentage of income as a white man earns in the prior year. And it takes till August for Latina women uh, to reach equal payday. So we have these disparities that are still very evident. The statistics bear it out and you can see it. Um, so to overturn affirmative action and to not give equal protection and protect those minority classifications is the uh, choice that the U.S. Supreme Court majority ruling makes. How do you think this is going to affect the different industries moving forward? Well, I think the issue that we need to look at as a whole, when you look at um, education, girls and women are underrepresented in STEM education. Girls and women are underrepresented in the corporate arena um, as being the CEO of a Fortune 500 company. Girls and women are, and race plays a part in that. And girls have outpaced boys in school, normally earning higher grades and applying to college in larger numbers. This education gender gap is growing um, over the past few decades. And there's a lower percentage of men that are graduates from university. I think it's about 40%. And to attain gender balance in the, in the classes, many of the elite colleges use preferences based on sex in admissions. So now we've taken race out, but sex is still used as a preference in admissions. So it's relatively easier for boys to be admitted to college and harder for girls. And in the most competitive schools, uh, they're so in demand that they try to maintain gender parity, but there's no parity for race. So when you think about college admissions, uh, we have gone, we are now an, in an era where if you don't have an education, that means that your income will be lower. So if your income is, and, and, and I'm stating that as a generality, we do know that there are some uh, trades, trades that you can mm -hmm. uh, make a significant earnings. But if you're not in the trades and you're just uh, your average worker, you're going to find that most of the um, earnings is going to be lower if you do not have a college education. Minorities already earn less than their Caucasian uh, uh, compatriots, and women earn less than men. So when you think about those things, you're placing us um, in a continual underclass. We're, we're going to be an underclass in, in society. So it's very important that we get some balance where if our education is the same, that you give that extra tipping point in favor of someone that's a minority getting that education because um, they're going to excel 
and accelerate beyond us and have a higher earning potential, which continues to leave minorities in an underclass. Last question for you, Judge. I want to say thank you very much again for being here. But last question is, if you are someone who disagrees with this ruling from the Supreme Court legally and from you know an advocacy point of view to make a change back to a way to have more equality across the board when it comes to emissions and wages and opportunities and so forth, what would you suggest somebody do? Well, actually, there is another case before the Supreme Court currently that's challenging Harvard's legacy admissions policy. The legacy admissions policy allows those that um, their family members have attended to get a preference. It allows those whose family members may have been um, endowers of the university to get a premise, to get a, a, a preference. So there is a case right now that's challenging the legacy admissions policy um, because it's it bans the express accounting of race while permitting consideration for a far less worthy trait of how much money did you give <laughs> or did your family attend. <laughs> so um, right. and let me just say this. Affirmative action has always been real because if your family had the money to pay and endow for scholarships, if your family had the money to build buildings and have their name placed on it on a university campus, you're more likely to get a preference in admissions for those. And we mm. can just see where um, we had some high profile individuals that actually uh, circumvented the admissions process and got their children admitted into these colleges and were prosecuted for their efforts. So affirmative action still exists. It's just mm. not going to be based on race. Mm -hmm. Now there's some food for thought to uh, end on. Judge Jameson, I want to say thank you very much for taking time out of your busy day to uh, come on and talk to us about this. I, I hope to talk to you again very soon. Well, thank you, Matt, for the opportunity. Thank you for listening to the Cuyahoga County Democratic Party's podcast, Cuyahoga Today. Tune in next week for our latest show and find out all of the latest information that's happening right here in your community. Show your support by going to www.cuydem.com and make a contribution. Do you have any questions about the show? Is there a topic you want us to cover? Or is there someone you want us to interview? If so, you can reach out to me at M-D-I-E-M-E-R at C-U-Y-D-E-M dot com. That's M-Deemer at Kydem dot com. Thank you again for joining our podcast. Until next week.